How will we power our future? Can we create a healthy and clean economy? Climate One at the Commonwealth Club is at the forefront of the global debate about energy, economy, and the environment. Bringing together the brightest and most provocative leaders of our time, Climate One is the place where big ideas get heard. With thoughtful and insightful discussions on policy, business, science, and culture, Climate One founder Greg Dalton gets to the heart of the matter. It's our future. It's time to come together. Welcome to Climate One at the Commonwealth Club. I'm Greg Dalton. The nuclear disaster in Fukushima comes roughly a year after President Obama advanced a $36 billion in loan guarantees as a down payment on a renaissance of atomic power in the United States. Now, with radiation from Japan showing up around the world, there's a cloud over that revival. Will America go forward with new nuclear plants? Will it modify existing reactors? Is nuclear energy necessary to reduce the country's greenhouse gas emissions? In the next hour, we'll discuss the future of nuclear energy in America with our live audience in San Francisco and three experts. Jacques Besnanu is CEO of the American arm of Arriva, a nuclear energy giant based in France. Jeff Byron is a former member of the California Energy Commission, which oversees energy planning and the building of new power plants. And Lucas Davis is an assistant professor at the Haas School of Business at the University of California, Berkeley, where he studies the economics of energy. Please welcome them to Climate One. Thank you all. Welcome for coming. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Jacques Bezendu, let's begin with you. Um, Japan, how is Japan going to affect the global nuclear industry? There's about 65 plants that are at some stage of design and construction. What's going to be the global impact? Okay. Uh, Thank you first for inviting me um, in San Francisco. I love to come here. Love the weather, love the people, love your energy. So uh, to to answer your question, uh, uh, we, I mean, it's difficult to say right now exactly how it's going to pan out. What I could see, and I could speak about uh, what I know best, uh, I think in Europe uh, you have a different stage of reactions. Uh, France is going to move forward. You could see uh, actually Germany, on the contrary, uh, is, uh, is, is pausing. Uh, here in the U.S. it's very interesting because <clears throat> contrary to um, what, what we could have thought, uh, I think the U.S. will continue. Uh, it's very interesting to see President Obama actually speaking in favor of nuclear energy. And I think the reason is very simple is that uh, nuclear energy is 20% of uh, clean air energy in the U.S., 70% actually of, uh, of, clean, clean so- of all clean sources of energy, and uh, it's an important part of the mix. So I think we will continue in the U.S. And by clean, you mean low carbon? Oh, no, I mean low carbon, I mean. Low, low carbon, carbon, of course. Yeah. Some people would question whether nuclear is clean. No, no, but we can talk about that, but I'm talking about low carbon. If we are concerned about carbon, I mean 70% of low carbon emissions uh, emitting uh, sources of energy. Jeff Byron, what do you think will be the impact in the United States? Will this revival go forward? How will the U.S. reconsider its nuclear programs after Japan? Uh, you know, I think um, it, it's almost too early to tell. Uh, we're one month into this accident. Uh, things are not stable yet. Um, there's a lot that we're going to learn from this. Uh, I would hope we're going to see a tremendous reaction on the part of our regulators in the United States. Uh, I think the debate uh, needs to continue. Uh, you know, we, we will learn a lot uh, from this, as we do from any accident, whether it's a, an aircraft that crashes or a, or a nuclear power plant that has a disaster. This was a terrible disaster. There were probably seven different accident events that are associated with this, unlike TMI, which only had really one accident event. Uh, we have 
spent fuel port storage issues we, we're, we're going to have to address in a significant way going forward. We've got three potentially different mechanisms that took place in these three reactors. Uh, there's a lot to learn from this, and I fully expect the Institute of Nuclear Power Operations has already begun taking action on this. The NRC um, can't just go... The Nuclear Regulatory Commission? The Nuclear Regulatory Commission just can't go ahead and be rubber stamping license renewal applications. Uh, I think we'll learn a lot from this, and I think the debate will continue. And and if it doesn't, I think your well-informed audience should be quite concerned. We can get into some of the specifics later. Uh, Lucas Davis, let's talk about the economics uh, of this. Will this make nuclear power plants, which are already very expensive, will it change the economics of financing and building uh, nuclear power plants? I I agree with Jeff. It's too too soon to see exactly. Fukushima certainly reminded us about many of these, the inherent risks of nuclear accidents, spent fuel. But as you're alluding to, I, I think the big concern I have is, is this, is, is cost. At the end of the day, even if, even if we put accidents, accidents aside, even if we put, I think, real and legitimate concerns about waste aside, I'm just concerned that in the U.S. today, with natural gas prices where they are, I think it's hard to make an economic argument for, for, for nuclear. It remains to be seen what the NRC is going to do. It, it, we may see that this increases the increases the cost of building new plants in the U.S. Can I come back yeah, to? Sure. I would like to come back to uh, two points. Uh, first, the NRC. I think uh, the NRC uh, will do uh, what uh, actually the NRC does in every type of accident or any. Uh, like for example, I was here in 9/11, and after the 9/11 uh, terrorist attacks, actually the NRC actually mandated actually review all nuclear plants in the U.S including, I mean, the, the case of what we call a total loss of external power. So it's very interesting. I mean, the review was done after 9-11, mm. and we're going to do the same now. And I think it's, a, it's an opportunity, actually, to learn. And this is what the industry is doing, I, I think, best, is learning. It's, a, it's, it's learning from, from lessons from accidents. But some of those, and, and I, Jim Rogers, who is the CEO of what's yeah. about to become the America's yeah. largest utility, was here a couple of days ago, and he said the same thing. After 9-11, yeah. we looked at total power outages. Yeah. I think the difference in the lesson from Japan is some U.S. backup power is for eight hours, and we saw in Japan that's not long enough, that we need, yeah. need power backup for a couple of days. Is that fair? Yeah, it's fair to say, and we need, we need also to be able to bring, I mean, external power very fast. And I think that's what we are going to look at uh, in, the next, uh, in the next 90 days, actually. Well, the ability of bring outside power uh, within a couple of days, but and, I think it's doable. Actually. And more on site. Well, let's drill down into the, the cost question. Yeah, well, I wanted to say oh, that. Sure, yeah, I wanted to say about cost, and I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a very expensive endeavor, but I would disagree on the fact that it's costly. The problem is not cost. The problem is financing. Because the total cost, if you look at everything, of nuclear power over 60 years is very low. The problem is financing. How are we able to finance large infrastructure? And President Obama has $36 billion. Do you think that that will get fully utilized? Is that enough? Do you want more? I'm happy with 36, but we need financing. We need help from the, from the government to jumpstart uh, this type of very large infrastructure. There, but, there's but, an MIT, just one second, let me jump in with some numbers. Yeah. There's, there's an MIT study uh, that was done, the landmark study that was done a couple of years ago and up- updated, which cited uh, nuclear power at, at about $0.08 cents a kilowatt hour, coal at $0.06 cents, and gas at 6.5. Uh, now, if you add a carbon price, it raises the price of those 
cheaper fuels that are you know, putting pollution in the atmosphere. Do you challenge those numbers? Yeah, I will. I, mean, I think you're talking about a very uh, new, uh, new build, actually. If you look at, uh, I mean, for example, the actual the current cost of nuclear power, it's way below a couple of cents of per kilowatt hour. So the, the 2009 study is based on $4,000 per kilowatt. Uh, the the uh, 2010 Department of Energy study comes out at 5000 per kilowatt. Uh, I think it's tough to say. It's tough to say because we haven't built a new plant in this country for three decades. I agree there's a lot of uncertainty. But I, but I think these are, this is a giant upfront capital cost that, that right now investors are, are, are yeah. balking at. No, that's why, that's why, I mean, we need the help of the government. And uh, I was looking at the beautiful uh, Golden, Gate, Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah. Uh, one time I think you will have to replace it. How are we going to do it? So I think the key question is how to finance large infrastructures. But we're in a political environment where taxpayers and certainly Congress doesn't have very much of an appetite for large infrastructure projects. Um, th- uh, there's a quote here from a recent article in uh, Time magazine uh, where the, he's, the author says, Wall Street hates nukes as much as K Street loves them. So, you know, the financiers don't particularly like them. A lot of risk, long payback. Uh, there's some political support for them. but how, So Jacques Bezenou, how do you think that we're going to get this money in this political and budget no, climate? No, I, think, I think that's what the, U, the U.S. government is doing, and uh, we have an agreement on both sides of the aisle. It's uh, get, getting loan guarantees to finance the, few, the first few plans to show that we can build on time and on budget. But if you ask the current uh, utilities across the country about nuclear power, they love it. Nuclear power plants right now that were built 40 years ago are cash machines. So the utilities love them, uh, and, and, okay. Jeff Byron, you want to jump in here? Uh, that's the other half of this whole financial issue. Uh, it may cost a lot to build a new plant, but the ones that are existing, the 104 that exist in this country, are cash cows. Uh, a large utility, um, a couple of nuclear plants might generate a quarter of their profits. So the irony, of course, is uh, they want to see these things continue to operate, and I think, as you may all know, we are... Um, extending the life of these plants uh, we, are the licenses. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I worked on this for five years at the Electric Power Research Institute a number of years ago, and um, most of these plants are are 30 years old plus. Many of the designs are 40-year-old plus designs, but they generate a great deal of revenue for the utilities, and, uh, and they do want to keep them operating. And they may operate 60 to 80 years, uh, uh, given the current licensing environment. I would, I would agree. I think, you've, I think Jock already alluded to this is 20% of U.S. electricity generation. Uh, you have to keep these, these running. And, and I think the, the, the operators are, have, been super, have been heroic in improving capacity factors at these plants. We've learned how to get an amazing amount of electricity out of the existing true. plants. But I would distinguish between these existing plants and the new builds. The, the costs that, that Greg alluded to are, are levelized cost estimates that reflect all lifetime costs of building the plant, operations and maintenance, fuel. And when you look at that, at those lifetime costs. Including uh, waste disposal? Including yes. waste disposal at the end, the, the, the levelized cost of nuclear with updated cost and fuel numbers is about 10 cents uh, per kilowatt. Compared to five cents for but natural gas. But if you only gas. look at so cost, that's a big gap. That's we'll, a big gap. We'll never build solar if you only look at cost. Yeah. I, there's no free lunch in energy. Thank you. Nuclear is expensive. <laughs> I agree. No, it's like I mean, that, that's why I want to compare it to the Golden Gate Bridge. I mean, uh, what is the benefit of the Golden Gate Bridge? It's going to be costly to replace it. 
But if we do nothing right now, if we do nothing, we are going to head up to a disaster because we are going to lose the fleet. I don't believe the fleet will be renewed to 80 years. I don't think it's possible. So at one point, the nuclear fleet in the U.S. will, as all of us, retire. And, and I think that should be the goal. Is to retire the fleet? Absolutely. I, as I indicated, I've worked on this issue for a number of years, uh, and, and really you want, to see, you, you, you want to see the economics come into the equation here as well. At some point it becomes an uneconomical to inspect every rivet and every weld on an aircraft every time it's in an you know, And so eventually we retire them. We take them out of service, or in our case so, we sell them to a third world country. So what we need nuclear power plants you cannot do so. And so we really want to retire them. In fact, we've gotten ourselves into an awkward situation in the U.S. The debate has taken us down a path, nuclear, not nuclear, and here we are. We're extending the license of every one of these existing plants well beyond their intended design life. These plants are 50-year-old designs. I wouldn't get on a 50-year-old aircraft if you paid me. Jeff Byron's a former commissioner at the California Energy Commission. We're also discussing America's nuclear future with Lucas Davis from the University of California at Berkeley and Jacques Besnanou from Arriva, a large French energy company. I'm Greg Dalton. So you, everyone seems to agree we should extend them, but not the life of existing plants, but not too far. Right? So 60 years is okay, but not 80. So, uh, so we, should think, we should think about uh, the new generation, how we're going to replace them. This, uh, this old fleet of, air, of airplanes. So that's what I'm looking at. Jeff Byron, do you think that we have extended license of, of plants that should not have been ex extended, that maybe increase public uh, risk to public health or safety because we're letting these things run too long? The, um, you know, um, at the Energy Commission, we conducted some hearings a couple of years ago, and it's a little bit outside our purview because the Nuclear Regulatory Commission addresses safety in this country. But California is, we're not going to put up with that. We have certain concerns here. Our public is much more informed. Um, we addressed issues around earthquakes and tsunamis. We made recommendations to, um, uh, I should say, we, we, we made some pretty strong recommendations to, that the utilities in this state need to, um, before they consider license renewal, they need to address our concerns uh, about new, new seismic findings, about potential tsunamis. Um, one of those utilities ignored our recommendations and proceeded. Now, we, have a, we can control the purse strings to some extent. In fact, this, decision, this, this debate is really a local debate. The Public Utilities Commission determines what the utilities can spend and on what. So this, this is a very hot topic right now for California, for the four plants that we have in this state on the coast. Most of the plants in this country are on the coast. Do they, are they susceptible to earthquake and seismic uh, issues, tsunami issues? It's all different. Um, it's location-based. I'm not going to pick on any particular plant. Um, but you're but talking about Diablo Canyon. Uh, Diablo Canyon and San Onofre Nuclear Generating Station. And, and which the re renewal license, there's an application underway to extend the licenses of those. And you're correct. saying that the utilities didn't take the commission's direction about addressing some seismic issues. That's correct. And, and they said they will, but... We do have legislators and regulators that want to see those addressed now. The NRC, um, I think, needs to address these issues. We're concerned about them. They can't ignore them. Um, they went ahead and um, approved a license renewal application for the same design power plant as Fukushima Daiichi one day after the accident or two days after the accident. Um, Vermont Yankee back in New York, I believe. Mm. So... Uh, 
they need to they need to demonstrate to the public that they're going to consider these additional accident scenarios. Um, how do we manage the um, the damaged core on site afterwards? These are things we really haven't worked on. And how do we make sure we can get coolant into these reactors? We're going to learn a lot from this, this music accident. Music to my ear. And the NRC needs to step up and demonstrate that they will enforce regulations that will be able to assure the safety of these plants. So that's why, I mean, I'm advocating for uh, the building of of new reactors that are much safer. I don't know if you know, but uh, we are marketing a a new reactor that was designed. It's called an EPR. We know. You know? Great. And uh, so (laughs) it's been designed after uh, by by the French and the Germans after... TMI after Chernobyl after 9/11. TMI being Three Mile Island. Three Mile Island, sorry. So it takes into account all the events you're talking about, even the melting of a core. So uh, my my advocacy here is that we we should be able we should be allowed to build uh, one reactor here in the U.S. to show that we can build a new fleet on time on budget with Thank predictable you. cost. And uh, the thing is, is that this I think the what could be good about this event, I mean, this is a tragic uh, event, what happened in Japan. It's a, it's a natural disaster of epic proportions. Yes. But what could be good is that we, the public wakes up and said, we want now that you government try new designs in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Jacques Bezineau is CEO of the American part of Arriva Inc., the large French nuclear company. Uh, Jacques, uh, your company's building a, a new uh, plant in Finland. Yes. It was alleged to be new modular design that would be cheaper and faster to build, we, but it's over budget no, no, and we didn't beyond say, no, schedule. No, it's not modular. We didn't say okay. that. Uh, the only thing we said about the, the EPR is that it's the safest plant on the planet. Uh, the issue in Finland is very simple. It's like in the U.S., in Europe, we didn't build for 20 years. In the U.S., we didn't build for 30 years. So we have lost the supply chain. Yes. We have lost the engineers. We have lost the, the labor, the welders. So we have to rebuild all of this. So it costs a lot of money. It's a great learning experience. Very costly. But we are going to be done, actually. We're almost finished right now. We're going to start the plant in 2012. And what's the cost from the initial uh, project? I mean, it, 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 it was supposed to be 3 billion euros. And we are about 2 billion euros of our budget. So It's about 5 billion. Approaching double of, of the initial yeah, appro- cost. Yeah, yeah but the, the, the initial cost was too low. Jeff Byron, do you agree that, that part of this is because the world hasn't built many plants or uh, the supply chain has been lost, the skills have been lost? I, I uh, have gotten out of the nuclear power industry three times in my career. The, and so I'm not as current as I'm, I'm sure our speaker is here. <laughs> but... But, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the cost issue uh, is really centering upon the new construction. And, and I keep hearkening back to the fact that we have so many operating reactors in the world today, 440 of them, many of them very old designs. We have to address the issues uh, around the existing power plants as well. So I know you're very interested in building new power plants, and I'm very much in favor of shutting down the older designs. So that works very well with, uh, uh, with Jacques' uh, interest, I suspect. But whether or not the U.S., and this debate needs to play out in the United States, whether or not the United States decides to build more or not, and there's really only one or three, depending upon how you count it, that are moving forward mm-hmm. at this point. And, and whether or not the U.S. is, is going to participate in this, and I agree, we've lost the capability. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not the only person that's gotten out of the nuclear industry. There's many people in this country. We've lost the manufacturing, the design. The engineers. 
Toshiba, Toshiba bought Westinghouse. Yeah. I mean, it, it, the, 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 these, these nuclear plants, plants will be built. There are 65 of them under construction or design at this point throughout the world. Um, and the technology will move forward. But we cannot put our heads in the sand. We need to be at the table. We need to be involved in the design, the operation, the enforcement of safety issues, yes. and the fuel cycle. I, I'm very curious about the proliferation issue we were discussing earlier. It is worth mentioning earlier. that um, here in the U.S. We have, we have some legislation in place since 2005 designed the economic argument for this. So what does the 2005 Energy Policy Act do? Provides these loan guarantees that Obama's now added to. Provides insurance against regulatory delay. And provides production tax credits of That's up correct. to 1.8 cents per kilowatt hour. These are designed to help us get over these learning pains, these growing pains. And I think if, if I, well, I, my message to the nuclear industry would say, would be, let's do it. Get in there and prove to us that you guys can build reactors on cost and on, on budget and on time. And I think that would, you know, if, that would change everything if you can do it. But to be fair, the industry, for 60 years, the industry has been saying that costs are going to come down and the empirical evidence on it is pretty mixed. Lucas Davis is a professor of business at UC Berkeley. We're discussing clean energy at Climate One. Jacques Bezanou, you want to come? No, we're, we're absolutely, I think we are all in agreement here that, and we are as a river ready, and we are making the, we have 5,000 people here in the U.S. actually. We are the largest supplier of nuclear services in the U.S. We are ready to rebuild the supply chain actually. We had a supplier event, I think it was three days ago in Missouri, where we had 160 suppliers come to be certified by us to be ready to help us here in the U.S. and help us around the world. So we are ready to make the effort because we agree that the U.S. is, is not only a market. The U.S. is leading the world in terms of nuclear safety, nuclear policy. So we want to be here. And but we want the U.S. to continue to be the leader. But when you really talk about nuclear uh, in terms of building and going forward, many people would say it's China, India, the Middle East. That's where most of the plants are happening. Now, do they have the same supply chain uh, problems of engineers, et cetera, that, that uh, elsewhere, or are they soaking up all the talent? Oh, they, I mean, China, I, I mean, I invite you to go to China. It's unbelievable. Yes. I mean, these guys are unbelievable. I mean, they're, they're, if, we don't, if we don't catch up, they're going to be number one in nuclear energy. I'm telling you. And every other form of energy. But, but well, and there, there's, some, there's some, China has some advantages, right? 60% of the cost of building a plant in the U.S. is labor. And labor costs are lower in China. And they also don't have to compete with natural, the natural gas prices that we have in the U.S. I know, but uh, let me differ on this a little bit, because I went to China myself to see, because I had also the yeah. same, I thought oh, labor is very cheap and so on and so forth. But I was very impressed. I mean, they know how to build infrastructure. I mean, actually, what they did for our plant, actually, they were able to, to uh, lay down the, 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 the pad, actually, in one pour. That means that they were able to save one month on the entire uh, timeline because of techniques, not because of labor. These guys, I mean, have been building stuff now for the last 20 years. We forgot, we for, were forgotten in Europe and here to build the bridges, to build roads, to build large infrastructure. So can we import that talent? I hope so. I really hope so. Why not? I mean, I'm not talking about labor. I'm, I'm talking about techniques. We need to learn from them. Jacques Bezendou is CEO of the U.S. arm of Arriva, the large French nuclear company. I'm Greg Dalton. We're discussing nuclear energy in America. Also with Jeff Byron, former commissioner of the California Energy Commission, and Lucas Davis, a professor from UC Berkeley. We touched on natural gas. Let's talk a little more about gas because 
A lot of people say uh, that natural gas is so cost competitive that nuclear can't compete at today's prices. Jacques? Yeah, you, you asked me this question this morning. Uh, again, uh, if you look at today prices, of course. But uh, we're making investment here for the next 60 years. And uh, we don't know exactly the price of gas for the next 60 years. I mean, I've seen prices in the last... I've been here for 17 years. I'm a new American citizen. And I've seen gas prices go up and down. So I believe that uh, to fuel an economy, especially California. California is fuel. Uh, the economy of California is growing based on electricity. We need long-term predictable electricity prices. So I won't put all my eggs in the, in the gas basket today. Lucas Davis. Uh, I, I, I do. I, I love the idea. <laughs> Let's definitely keep our options open. But, but it, to me, so here's the, the striking fact for me. 2011, the Department of Energy's energy outlook, they doubled the amount of known shale gas reserves in the U.S., mm-hmm. doubling. So this is this horizontal drilling, uh, hydraulic fracturing technology that's really opening up vast amounts of gas, including the Marcellus Shale, uh, which is right where we need power, and it's the second largest gas field in the world. Beautiful. So it's very hard to forecast prices. I completely agree with you. But it, the, to me, the best forecast out there is the Department of Energy's forecast, and they're saying that gas prices aren't going to go above $5 until 2022. If that, if that prediction holds true, nuclear has a real challenge. Yeah, but, uh, uh, Jeff Byron? I, I like the California Energy Commission's forecast much better than DOE. <laughs> One of the things that the Energy Commission does, for those of the, the, you that don't know, we, for, we make these forecasts, and, and we try and look out for California's energy future. Five years ago, we were looking at permitting LNG, uh, liquefied natural gas uh, terminals in California. We import 88% of the natural gas we use in this state, and, and things weren't looking very good. And, and these enormous fines and the development of the technologies around uh, natural gas, North America is looking very good now for the long term. And uh, it's very difficult not just for nuclear to compete. And there is price volatility, no doubt about it. You know far better than I about it. Yeah, this. but part of what happens is the price goes up. It did when we removed price controls in the 80s. It did again in 2006, 2007. And what happens? Price goes up. All of a sudden, a lot of people get into the gas business. They start looking around for gas. And we yeah. find more gas. Yeah. So, so it looks very good. Um, and, and believe me, uh, we've permitted a lot of renewables in the state of California. We happen to think California leads the country in many regards. Sometimes you just watch what we do and do the opposite. But, but, but in, in, these, in this case, I think we are on the right track. And, in fact, I was going to take it slightly a different direction. One of the things that's missing at the national level is some sort of coherent energy policy. Thank you. I think we have this in California. Now, you may agree or disagree with it, but we go after energy efficiency first, then we go after renewables, and then we go after conventional sources of generation, which is primarily natural gas. Um, uh, we permitted 4,500 megawatts of solar in this state last year. That's 10% of the existing generation we have. Now, will it all get built? I don't know, because it has to compete the same way that nuclear does. And it's very expensive also. But it has other benefits. We know burning fossil fuels has health effects. In fact, that's part of the equation we're not talking about either. Nuclear does um, displace fossil fuels, which is not just greenhouse gases, but there are, there are some serious issues as we continue to burn fossil fuels. So 
I'm sorry, I've gone. The, I've I've run the, well, run no, the table. Come back to come back on, on gas. And uh, again, I'm not saying gas is bad. I'm not saying. I mean, and I'm not saying nuclear is the solution. But nu- there is no solution without nuclear energy. That means that uh, it's like a, you have your 401k. Okay, so you diversify your portfolio. As an energy policy, you need a diversified Absolutely. energy policy. Because again, if you put all your eggs in the gas basket, and you get a env- because of fracking, you get an environmental accident right. down the road. What do you do? So that's why I'm saying we need to be prudent. Jacques Bezenu is the CEO of American Arm of Arriva, the large French nuclear company. We're also talking about nuclear power with Jeff Byron, formerly of the California Energy Commission, and Lucas Davis from UC Berkeley. I'm Greg Dalton. Uh, Jeff, you almost got to coal. Let, let's talk about coal because coal has significant health impacts. It provides most of the baseload electricity uh, in, in, this, uh, in this country, and yet... Um, if you look at accidents as well as people premature deaths, a lot more people die digging coal out of the ground and from the health consequences of coal uh, than nuclear. So would you say we should even do less coal and more nuclear? Yes, I've also worked in the, uh, in the coal-fired uh, power industry as well. Um, you know, there was an accident 10 days after the, after the Japan uh, earthquake that killed 32 miners in Pakistan, and I don't think it made the news. Mm-hmm. We don't really know how many people directly die as a result of thousands. mining coal, but it's thousands, thousands. every year in this in Especially this. in China, actually. And, 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 and the health effects, we know in California, studies have been done, and I speak to California because I feel more comfortable, but thousands of people have early deaths as a result of the fossil fuels that we burn. And these are not mostly power plants. These are coming from automobiles. So, yes, we know that there are health effects. There's thousands of people that are affected. Um, we know um, stopping the burning of fossil fuels is a good thing for, for human health. Yeah. And if you look at nuclear, nuclear is very interesting because in, in my uh, portfolio image, nuclear is base load, 20%. It means it's 24-7. It doesn't compete with, uh, really with gas. It doesn't compete with renewable. It competes with coal. Yeah, or combined cycle gas, but it, but it really does compete. It displaces coal. Yes. And uh, and because coal is also based. But there were there, there's a uh, this week's Fortune magazine has a couple of good essays yeah. uh, that I recommend that you that you look at to get some differing opinions. And there as was well. a Washington Post actually article I mentioned to you, uh, very interesting about the on, on the health effects of coal and access. Yeah. Yes. Well, so on, on this issue of nuclear that you're mm-hmm. that we're discussing here today. Um, about half of the electricity generated in, the, in this country comes from coal. I mean, one of the arguments that was in one of these six essays that I read last night um, is that, uh, in a sense, indirectly, the environmental movement caused us to move more towards coal because for 30 years we haven't built nuclear. Well, now natural gas is on the scene, and that could change everything. The, the Sierra Club um, t- takes credit for having helped kill 150 new nuclear – sorry – 150 new coal plants in this country in recent years. Um, I helped write the regulations in the state of California that uh, we call it an emission performance standard. We are limiting the amount of CO2 that you can put out for every megawatt hour to less than 1,100 pounds. That essentially, although we never said it, takes coal off the list. So coal, and we're 35% of the load in the Western United States. Uh, we are do- we are dominating policy. There will be no new coal plants built in the West. Going forward, I, I I I don't see it. There's very few anywhere in the in the country. No. Um, Jacques Besnard, do you think yes. that uh, if there's a price on carbon emissions, if coal has to pay the full life cycle costs, that makes nuclear more cost competitive? Do you, oh, of course. Do you want to see a price on carbon? Of course. I mean, I I, I think it would be great to have uh, that all 
all, all energy compete on the same uh, plane level fields, actually. That's true that... Except right for the loan guarantees. No, except no, yeah, for, no, except for the 36 billion. No, no, they can get loan guarantees. No, because large, I mean, all large investments, in my opinion, for the public good, need to get loan guarantee. But it's another debate. But to speak about externalities, okay? So I think right now, I mean, I mean, a lot of energy, including actually transportation, are dumping CO2 waste yes. into the atmosphere. It's They're getting a pass. And they, for nothing, for zero. But these so this is going to have an effect on our children. So we, we should we should think about that. So there should be a price on carbon. We should think about a price on carbon. Yeah. Do you advocate that? Because some of your customers are utilities that don't want a price on carbon. I, I mean, if you ask me the question, I mean, because of course, I mean, they want to have a cheap means of producing energy. But I think if we want to be fair and if we want to make sure that uh, we take care of our kids and we take care of the environmental impacts of everything we do, carbon. Dumping carbon in the atmosphere as a cost. It should be borne by somebody. Yeah. Jack Bezanou is CEO of the U.S. arm of Areva, the large nuclear energy company. Um, one of the ways that some states have looked at uh, tackling the cost of this is with pre-construction, starting to charge uh, utility customers before the plants are even built. Georgia and Florida have yep. done that. Uh, uh, utility customers in Georgia now have a dollar seventy a month. Will go up to almost. Uh, Nine dollars a month in 2017 to plan for a new nuclear plant. Do you think that that's uh, the way to go to have customers pay up front because yeah. investors don't want to? It's a choice. Uh, I think it's a choice the public has to make. I mean, there is no free lunch here. Again, these are large infrastructure. The same thing if you want to uh, really increase renewables in the state of California. I think it's great actually. You're leading the world, but you will have to invest. It's an investment. It's a new industry. So it's the same for new nuclear. We need to invest in new nuclear energy in the U.S. Lucas Davis, do you th what do you think about pre-charging customers for nuclear? I mean, ask the ratepayers in Georgia. I think you're already seeing pushback after Fukushima in Georgia on these rates. I mean, I think, but I think this is the right way to think about it. Let's be upfront about yeah, the costs and benefits here. Let's be honest. If you want nuclear power, you it's going to cost you. Yeah. You know? And but Lucas, uh, even the largest utilities in the country, buy, building a power plant is an enormous uh, cost to them, and to take on that cost, uh, they need to have some assurance up front that they'll yeah, be compensated. Let's take the example of the Hoover Dam. You know, I love the U.S. I came here to become an American citizen. I admire the Hoover Dam. It was an investment. We didn't ask, uh, actually, uh, uh, at that time, uh, uh, Wall Street to cover the Hoover. Uh, Wall Street was in was it Shambol, actually. It didn't work anymore in 29. We decided as a country to build the Hoover Dam. I mean, it's, it, this is what it is. But we're in a very p different political era where the country is unable or unwilling. Yeah, well, we don't to have to be stupider than our, than our uh, grandfathers and fathers, you know. <laughs> <laughs> we can be smarter, you know. <laughs> Sorry. Well, you live in Washington, D.C., so uh, we'll, we'll put you, turn that rat one back on you. Um, Jeff Byron, is it okay to charge customers in advance? You know, these decisions get made locally. They get made at the Public Utilities Commission in each state. Uh, and, and I think, I think um, that job number one is to protect rates to customers so that they are not overcharged. Job number two is to make sure you util your utility doesn't go out of business. You want them to operate and, and fulfill their obligation to serve. Um, uh, one of the things we don't discuss in, in this kind of debate is we don't discuss the benefits of electricity. Mm -hmm. And it has an enormous benefit to human life. 
and, and so I, my answer to your question in general would be yes, but not with proper oversight. They, w- they would have to evaluate these costs and, and do prudency reviews. One of the things we haven't talked about is, is nuclear waste. This country hasn't figured out what to do with nuclear waste. Uh, the United States canceled the Yucca Mountain Project because of the uh, Senate race in Nevada. Uh, Jacques, can we send it to France? Yes. I have a proposal for you guys. I, I, uh, I, I used to run, I was, when I was in France, the, 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 back-ends, the back-end of Arriva, which is, which, is recyc- which is taking care of, the, of, uh, of spent fuel, of used fuel. We have a policy in France that we recycle uh, used fuel. And the recycled plant is in Normandy, next to the D-Day beaches. And it's open for business. For any, uh, for, uh, we work for the Germans. We work for the Italians. We are working right now for, the, for Holland. We worked with Japan. And we're happy, we'll be very happy to take your waste. Thank you. With a fee. Uh, uh, <laughs> Jeff Byron? <laughs> well, yeah. I, I think this is a very crucial issue. I prefer to call it spent fuel mm-hmm. and not waste. Um, this, is, this, is a, this is a crucial issue that we cannot ignore. Oh, yes, we, we have do. 104 operating reactors in this country. Those of you that are listening to this, if there's something that you wish to do, it is write your senators, tell them, quit kicking the can down the road. It was in the late 70s, early 70s, that the federal government promised to address this issue. For political reasons, we've, we've, we've given up on the only option we have in this country, and we cannot ignore this. No, the world will go forward. I'm quite concerned about the countries uh, that are emerging in this technology who will develop reprocessing yep. technologies, and we won't have a say or control. We need to be involved in this process. I, I can't agree more. I think you have to understand that we are the only country with nuclear power with no back-end policy. We are the only one. Back end policy. What do we do with this? What do we do with the, what do we do with spent fuel? And you know where spent France fuel is. France has one. Germany has one. Uh, spent Finland fuel has one. Is backed up. China in, has one. In the, in the spent fuel storage, um, yeah, pools. Yeah. On site. And, was, and in dry cast storage. It was not, it was never supposed to be this way. It was no. never supposed to be this way. This problem must be addressed. Jeff Byron's a former commissioner of the California Energy Commission, also with us today at Climate One, are Jacques Besnanou, CEO of Arriva Inc. in the United States, and Lucas Davis from UC Berkeley. I'm Greg Dalton. Will this cost more to ship our nuclear waste to France? We can't figure out the states. We, we can negotiate. We can negotiate. <laughs> no, but, uh, everything has a price, and we can negotiate. You're great negotiators. But no, no, it doesn't cost more. It doesn't cost more. Less than the Germans are paying. We want less than that. But no, it doesn't cost more. Again, I mean, it has to be including the cost of, of electricity. It's about, I mean, it's, uh, it's, one, it's between a, a mil per kilowatt hour and two mil per kilowatt hour. But uh, it, it's, it's working. And we need, again, to have a policy. We need to be able to recycle fuel, it's my, it's my opinion. And the final waste is petrified, so it's, it's good for a million years. It's not going to leak into the atmosphere. It's not going to leak into the ground. And you have to find a final repository for it. It's very important. So as Americans, we need to decide where. And, the, we, need to, uh, and, and we need to open the repository and send the final waste to the repository. This is the safest solution for the for our children. Right now, we are using electricity, and we're leaving the waste, actually, the problem to our kids. Jeff Byron, do you agree? I, lo- I love Jacques says we periodically and you periodically. I'm mean, <laughs> somewhere between the France and the U.S. And I don't know where I live. You know, I have double citizenship. It's the the um, I I agree completely with what he is saying. Uh, and and this industry, as I indicated earlier. These plants, the existing plants, are cash cows. I mean, they make a great deal of money. 
I think the American public demands that they be safe and demands that they, they have full confidence in their safety. If it costs more to put in new uh, systems Fine. on the existing plants to the extent that's possible, let's do it. And the industry should absorb those costs and, and spend fuel whatever it costs. Let's pick up on that. Should the uh, Jacques from Ariva, you will uh, Ariva is a company that would happily uh, do that retrofitting and raising uh, yes. standards in some of the plants. But what Jeff Byron just said is the industry should pick up the cost. Well, consumers ultimately pick up the. No, cost. I mean, I mean the utilities, yeah, and consumers. I mean, but shareholders, two sides utilities. There's the shareholder no, side the, and the, the ratepayers. It will be reflected side. in the price of, in the price of kilowatt hour. I mean, again, there is no free lunch. I mean, we can have it both ways. We can have a very cheap electricity and, 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 and large investments. So we have to pay for it. Lucas Davis, you study energy economics. <laughs> I, I guess I, I guess I think spent fuel is part of it. I think it increases the cost. I, I think it's not negligible. But I, I just, at the end of the day, I don't think this is the real stumbling block. I think I feel like if it if it if if we could build a nuclear plant in this country for two billion dollars, we would find a way to solve the waste problem. Tens of thousands of pages have been written about waste. But We've had a lot of smart people study it. it. It's been it's been a long time. But, but what's, but what's frustrating actually here is that it's not the technical issues. It's not the technical issue. It's a political hot potato. Yes. The back end of the fuel cycle. It's not because people say it's impossible. No, it's not impossible. It's done on a regular basis in Europe. We're going to go to uh, audience questions soon, so if you'd like to come around this side, if you're on that side of the room, and it looks like Adam is going to start the line right there, I invite you to do so one at a time and come up. Um, we have not talked yet about nuclear proliferation mm -hmm. and waste getting into the hands of people who wish us or our allies harm. Uh, Jacques Bezanou, what should be done more about proliferation to make sure this stuff is safe? Uh, no, I think the, the best is exactly what you said. The U.S. needs to continue to lead the world, so it needs to invest in recycling technology, in enrichment technology, you know, enriching the fuel. Uh, there's a step uh, between uh, the uranium in the ground and uranium in the reactor called enrichment, and this is why, actually, we are investing here in America to build the next generation of enrichment plant, meaning that we need to have, we, as Americans, we need, uh, I have to... <laughs> we, we, as Americans, we need to have the technology here so we can control it. It's very, very important for our national security. Jacques Bezanou, mm -hmm. CEO of Arriva Inc. Uh, in the United States, a large French nuclear company. We're discussing nuclear power at Climate One. Uh, let's have our first audience question, please. Welcome. So first of all, thanks to all of you. I think it's been a very interesting discussion. I'd like to hear... Jacques, take a minute or two to explain to us how the French were able to overcome the political obstacles to siting and building a waste facility storage then. Okay. Um, I think it's pretty simple. Uh, I was 10 years old in 73. We got uh, the first oil crisis. I don't know if you remember. Uh, my dad was uh, at that time a young doctor. He couldn't work anymore. Because it's not that the price at the pump was high. There was no gas at the pump for one month. So what happened is that we got scared, we as a French. <laughs> so what we looked at, we said, okay, how can we get energy independence? It was the key, energy independence. So we looked at uh, coal. There is no coal anymore in France. We look at gas. We have no gas, in, including fracking. We don't have gas. So... 
we had no other option than to develop nuclear power. So we turned to our allies, the Americans, and actually you need to know that the French program was built on the American program. It's the, the PWR technology developed in the U.S. So thank you, America. So the, what I would like today is to return the gift. <laughs> Take it back. Uh, next question, please. Um, could you talk a little bit about, uh, you know, the containment of the radiation from the spent nuclear waste, even if it can be contained for many, many, many years, there, there, there's still a danger. It's still radiation. And isn't there something else that would take care of our needs besides nuclear power in your mind? <clears throat> the difficulty here is you're talking about uh, the fear of radiation. So, I mean, uh, we have to be protected from radiation. I mean, the nuclear waste, as we do it in France, Actually, what we do, we, we put the final waste in, we petrify it. So that means that what you don't want with nuclear waste, you don't want it to leak into the environment. So you want to petrify it. That's what we do. And after what we do, we bury the waste 600 meters underground. So we believe it's safe. How long have you been doing that practice? Uh, we, uh, we are going to open the final repository in 2020 after, after uh, studying, uh, actually for the uh, last 50 years but in when clay. It does, when it does finally leak uh, yeah, into the earth, couldn't no, no, we, it cause we at it. earthquakes maybe? <laughs> no, 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 no. We looked, no, really, ma'am. Uh, we, we, it's a very serious question. It's a good question. We looked at it. We looked at, at uh, the possibility of uh, leaking nuclear waste from petrified waste. It doesn't leak for a million years. But then... But we don't really know that then, But yet. then it would be gone. It's, it's gone. But we don't know it's that over. Yet, It's right? over. So because the good thing about radioactivity is that it decays. So we need to and I'll, I'll be gone as well. So anyway, so better. It's begun. But Jacques Bessin, you understand if people say, well, yes, we looked at it. Trust us. The nuclear industry said that before. They said that mm -hmm. about Japan and the, the, the seawalls around the plants, which the, the, the waves but, then topped and the backup but, powers. But here is the difference. I'm, I'm, all of you, I invite you to come and see what we do in France. I mean, this, just, this, anyway, this is not Oprah. We don't all go to France together. That's <laughs> not how this works. I'm not paying for it, but okay. uh, you come. Uh, you have to pay for a plane ticket. But, but what I'm saying here is that I agree we need to, that's why we need to be open and transparent. And I think all your questions are good questions. Uh, next question, please. I'm an environmental historian uh, who's currently working on uh, the safety debates around nuclear power. One of the things that... Uh, really has struck me is in the 1960s in the United States, the uh, Atomic Energy Commission made the decision to allow location of nuclear plants near cities. This means that the engineered safety devices had to work perfectly. What I would like to get from the panel is why should a rational citizen believe that engineered safety devices will always work Perfectly, because near the cities, it's impossible really to do an evacuation. Thank you. Jeff Byron. Actually, I worked on uh, containment design as a young uh, engineer uh, for General Electric, and in fact, the, the, the Mark I containment design that's involved in Fukushima. That's why I'm quite concerned. These things are old, as old as I am, for God's sakes. Um, the um, We designed based upon a deterministic approach. And this is, I don't mean to get technical here, but there was no real 
probabilistic evaluation of these designs. We said, okay, what's the worst thing that can happen? Well, we don't know, so let's design for a steam, a steam pipe break. So we designed the containment for a steam pipe break. You have to remember, 50 years ago, not a whole lot was known about this industry. Not a whole lot was known about how to contain and what would be the forces and loads involved. So I'm actually a structural uh, seismic engineer by training. Um, this, was a, this was a great exercise. It wasn't until 1995 that the United States started looking at probabilistic, and we still don't have a full probabilistic approach here. This deterministic approach was very robust. There were four nuclear reactors of the same design that were closer to the epicenter of the earthquake than Fukushima Daiichi. They all shut down. Now, we're going to learn a lot about what happened at this one as a result of the tsunami that washed over this plant, and, and, uh, and, and hopefully uh, we will take this to heart in this country and every other country. But this deterministic approach is not the right way to do it. There are many accident chains that we could not and did not know how to evaluate at the time. Now, back to your regard, the question around building these by cities. I don't know if you've noticed, but the, but the people in this country tend to like to live along the coast. That's also where you have a large heat sink where you can put your waste heat from cooling the, um, the, um, the uh, not the core, uh, it's the Rankine cycle uh, uh, that needs to be addressed. Every power plant has this problem. We have 19 coastal power plants in California. Okay, so they're, they're not located near cities for the most part. How far do you want it from a city? But they are located near the load centers, and that's the people that use the electricity. They are located near transmission lines. So these, there are other factors that come into play here. Um, um, I think enough of it. Thank you. Jeff Byron is a former commissioner of the California Energy Commission. Next question, please. A very qu simple question regarding the nuclear waste or spent fuel. Uh, we just heard that the, in France they do the recycling. Yes. Why can't we do it here? And if not, why? And uh, if we can do it, why don't we do it? Uh, you want to answer? I, I, Jeff Byron. I will say that we should be addressing this. We decided... Um, uh, I believe it was President Ford that made this decision, and, and President Carter embraced it as well. We, the federal government, would address this issue on behalf of the nuclear, uh, the commercial nuclear power industry. Uh, we keep kicking this can down the road. We were going to have a monitored retrievable storage uh, capability. We, we were going to then build Yucca Mountain, and as, and as Mr. Dalton indicated, for political purposes, that's no longer on the table. We lead in so many other areas. We should lead technology in this area as well. It's a political football that no one wants to address. Right, your senator. We're discussing nuclear power at Climate One at the Commonwealth Club. Next audience question, please. Yeah, the question is to Jacques. Yes. Jacques, I heard you saying several times, U.S. must lead the world. Everything happening in the world, we want U.S. to lead the world. Mm -hmm. Destroy the country, war, everything. What, what's this pressure? Why do we want to... Why, why not China? For example, you just mentioned that China is, is leading technically. You know, because what's that pressure? I mean, I'm telling you, it's a personal answer here because, uh, yeah, it's, I, I mean, it's not my, I, I remove my CEO hat. As a citizen, uh, I'm very proud to belong to the largest and best democracy in the world. And I can tell you that because I, I've been, I mean, I was born in France. I, I, I wandered around the world. We are blessed here. My, my daughter is here. She's blessed to be born is the, in the largest and best democracy in the world. So we have a, it's, it's, it's a great reward, but it's a, it's, it's a heavy duty. It's my personal answer to this. And the second, did I oh, never sorry, we have a number of people in line for <laughs> Russia. Yeah. 
that, uh, the questions. I think India would take claim with being the largest uh, <laughs> democracy, but we can... Uh, it's, no, it's a personal answer, I'd say. No, it's not, uh... Uh, next question, please. Hi. Mm. Okay. Lisa Weinsmer with Platts. Hi, Jeff Byron and everyone. This is a question first for Jacques and then if okay. others want to weigh Still in. Um, given that U.S. developers had slowed plans for new reactors before the accident in Japan, will it make it harder to get loan guarantees for new reactors approved or get additional loan guarantee money approved by Congress? Uh, again, it's difficult to say what Congress will do, but my first discussions with the policymakers, the senators, and the members of Congress indicate no, actually, because, again, uh, the new reactors... In, I mean, are safer. So it makes a lot of sense, even after, actually, especially after Fukushima, to allow for this new design to be built in the U.S. So I, f- I fully expect, I mean, the, uh, the loan guarantee program to continue. But you Others? know, well, I, would, I would just add, you know, I, I think the loan guarantees are going to remain in place, but we should keep in mind that that's only for the first six gigawatts yeah. of plants. Yeah. And I mean, three nuclear plants is not going to change the story here. Uh, I think the, the, the interesting thing is going to be moving forward. You're, you're right, but if I, yeah, I mean, I have right now, I'm, I'm, uh, I mean, we are, we are licensing the EPR, a new reactor, yeah. in, in, in Maryland, okay? So, and uh, our customer is applying for loan guarantee. If we can prove that we can build on time and on budget in the next 10 years, it will take 10 years, no? I think uh, after, after it's for the, for the U.S. financing system to decide if they want to continue. And if you don't deliver on time, oh, budget in 10 years, my is, fault. is it, is it, is my it, fault. A, my fault. You're not gonna, I'm, I'm on record. My fault. You're not going to blame okay. the government for delays or that sort no, of no, thing. No, no, no. But fault. at some point, you think the industry ought to say, you know what, look, it's not working because it seems like we're trying, trust us, we're learning, trying, we're trying, my trust fault. us, we're learning. Okay. Uh, next question, please. Yeah, there's been a lot of discussion of the back end of nuclear power and the waste, but there hasn't been really any discussion of uranium mining and enrichment. And my understanding is that a lot of fossil fuel resources are consumed in that process, which kind of challenges nuclear's zero-carbon footprint claim. And I've also heard that there's a fairly limited supply of uranium worldwide, maybe 80 years additional at current burn rates. Can I disagree? Uh, I've done the life cycle cost, actually, uh, comparison of all energy sources. And you're right, I mean, uh, in mining we consume some uh, CO2, but, uh, I mean, the, when you look at the, uh, at the life cycle cost over the lifetime of a nuclear plant, I mean, the, the emissions of, of nuclear are way below, way below, including, including mining. You know, just, Byron, just uh, uh, by comparison, just so you all understand, as much as we like renewables, as much as we want to move towards solar and wind, uh, a, a little back-of-the-envelope al- calculation uh, showed pretty quickly that... Uh, uh, the Fukushima nuclear power plant uh, generated a lot more electricity than all the solar in the world put together. Okay, so it, 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 it displaces a great deal of CO2 emitting uh, generation. My, my favorite fact is, uh, is that one pound of reactor-grade uranium has the same energy content as 100,000 pounds of coal. Yeah. yeah. It's a million, so uh, it displaces yeah, the, the, the a great ratio deal. Is a million. It displaces a great deal of pollutants, criteria pollutants that affect people, and CO2, which affects our future. And, and just to answer your second question, I mean, the, the known uh, uranium reserves right now are 200 years. And if you factor recycling, which I promote, 
It's much better. We're discussing uh, nuclear power at Climate One at the Commonwealth Club. Next question, please. This is regarding re- renewable or alternate sources. Um, I heard that oil companies were buying up patents for solar power back into the 1930s. Are the oil companies or any energy companies trying to do more with fusion or putting money into solar to make it less expensive? Jeff Byron? Well, I I don't know that I can speak uh, specifically to any companies. Uh, We do see uh, the the oil companies getting involved in alternative energy, uh, making substantial investments. Um, uh, I think uh, we should all as consumers be a little bit leery about what their motives are, but they recognize that this is a – this is – fossil fuels are a limited resource. Um, so I think they're looking out for their future. Uh, you know, we have a CEO here. Do you think they're, do you think they're uh, going to buy up all the, the solar and put it out of business so we have to rely upon fossil fuels forever? I don't believe in st- this type of uh, theories, actually. So, uh, no, I believe they are also interested. I mean, I, I, we bought a, a solar company out of California last year to, to develop it. So I think they understand also that, uh, I mean, they, they, they need to be a portfolio. I mean, it's, it's really the, the question of we should be we, we shouldn't put again it's the phrase all our eggs in one basket yes. it doesn't make sense for the next sixty years and we are talking about making investment for the next eighty years we can't predict the future so the best way is to uh, to invest in any type of energy. Jacques Bezendu of Arriva, what percentage uh, of your revenues in ten years will be renewables? Oh, uh, it's, yeah, it's good. It's going to grow uh, tremendously, actually. It's, it's, I would say around twenty percent, actually. Twenty percent oh, renewables, yeah, and you're a big nuclear company. That's yeah. interesting. Okay. Yeah, uh, but we believe, you know, you know, we believe in clean air energy. That's why we invested in renewables. And that's clean air energy. That's a new one for me. Okay. That's an enormous increase for any company to make that kind of transition. Yeah, it's enormous. And we're doing it, actually. Jacques Pesendo is CEO of Arriva Inc. in the United States. Next audience question, please. Yes, I want to, first of all, thank the panel for their coverage of these areas. What concerns me is the complete lack of knowledge by the general public and maybe some of you people about the injuries of radiation. No one worries about the natural kinds of things, whether it's flying on an airplane or going to the dentist or whatever you might be, but the opening panel talked about worldwide radiation from the Japanese catastrophe. That's so insignificant compared to the natural radiation or other radiations that we're willing to accept. I'd like to throw out a figure. I don't know how accurate it is, but it's from a well-known nuclear scientist who really knows radiation. He said the radiation or the risk involved in living next to a nuclear plant in United States is equivalent to driving your car three feet a year. Now, none of us worry. All of you probably came in cars. and You didn't worry about that Thanks. risk. And I can't think of anything. You keep talking about safety. I can't think of anything that's completely safe. And I think the risk of nuclear plants uh, is just due to the ignorance of the general public and I don't know how to correct ah, that. Ah, until they have an accident. I suspect that's why many people here are concerned about, is when the accident occurs. But so far, the number of deaths in coal and oil, we've oil. seen oil recently, yeah. far greater than uranium mining or nuclear power plants. I, I don't know if you know that, but to confirm what you say, in the United States, since the beginning of commercial nuclear plants, there had been no death, zero, related to commercial nuclear plants yeah. in true. the U.S., zero. Yeah. Uh, related to the uh, to the nuclear side mm-hmm. of the power plant. Yeah. 
Next audience question, please. I know that uh, they use nuclear warheads to take the nuclear waste and use it in power plants. I was wondering if that's something that represents a large portion of the amount of nuclear used, oh, or could it increase? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the U.S., it's very interesting. Thank you for uh, for, 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 for mentioning this. Uh, there is a program uh, with the between the U.S. and Russia to dispose of uh, Russian warheads, ah. and you should know that 50% of the enrichment capacities right now of the U.S. is made out of uh, actually uh, dismantling uh, Russian warheads. So that's true that uh, the com- actually when, when you use nuclear power right now in the U.S., you're burning uh, warheads from Russia. But remember that, uh, that fuel as well, that, uh, I'm sorry, those nuclear warheads that yes. are now being used as fuel, is really not terribly radioactive. It doesn't represent no, 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 any, no, any it's, threat it's to health. It's a good use of nuclear health. energy. If you yeah. think Better than, than, than bombs, you're saying, and it's not being uh, mined. I mean, it's, I mean, honestly, we need to think about also our grandfather, actually, I mean, they did great things, but also they built a lot of nuclear weapons. Uh, we don't need all of them, honestly. Jacques Bezendu is CEO of the U.S. subsidiary of Arriva, Inc. We're talking about nuclear power at Climate One. Yes? I wonder if uh, any of you could tell me what's going to happen to the partially melted radioactive core at Three Mile Island, Chernobyl, Mm -hmm. and at Fukushima, and the radioactive water and all the radioactive machinery that are at those three disaster sites. So uh, I can talk about Three Mile Island because we worked on it. Uh, What happened is that we we, we were able to uh, retrieve the the melting core, the melting fuel. We cut it in pieces, and they are now in uh, dry storage. They are in a safe storage. The fuel has been removed. From the fuel has been removed. In dry uh, storage, you mean sunk into cement somewhere? In a cask. Uh, in a in cask. cask. In a big cask. In a metal cask, like a tomb, but a, a small one. Chernobyl is a very different accident. It's from what happened, actually, even in Fukushima. There's no real containment around the Chernobyl graphite core reactor. They essentially built the containment after the accident. Ah, uh, Jeff Byron, we talked earlier, uh, we're getting toward the end here, we talked earlier about the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. Um, is that a captive, an agency that's been captive by the industry? Uh, you know, I, I spent a lot of time uh, uh, across the table with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. There are individuals there that are very, uh, oh, I don't want to use too strong a word. They take their jobs very seriously. Um, and... Uh, but this is a captive regulator, and it's a captive regulator in many parts of the world. Uh, there's some concerns about uh, the close relationship between the, the large utilities and the regulator in Japan. I think we should have some similar concerns here, and it's historic. You may all recall that the Atomic Energy Commission had both the responsibility of regulating nuclear power and promoting it at the same time. So in 1976, we said, enough of that. So we created the Department of Energy and the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. But there's a history there, and the public is not necessarily satisfied that that wall exists. In fact, uh, your government decided, and my government, and yours, uh, decided, the French? No, 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 <laughs> decided uh, a number of years ago that you know what? Uh, let's save some money. Let's have the uh, let's have the the licensees who the NRC regulates. Let's have them pay. So they, in fact, collect uh, money from each of their licensees. So there's an enormous number of inspectors. There are on-site inspectors. They do their job very well. But we want to see a nice, clear division. No, there is a great, I mean, I would say that there is a, it's a very, it's a very strong and tough agency. I mean, and very independent. I mean, compared Never to the tough others. enough. 
I want them to listen to what my my uh, citizens in California have to say about the nuclear reactors or, that are here, uh, uh, and I expect them to address the concerns that we raise in their in their um, evaluation of permits going forward. But we, we, we need an independent agency like this. And I remember, yes, I, absolutely. I remember the oil spill last year. It was very interesting. I mean, what, 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 what the oil industry has, has been looking at right now is looking at, and the government has been looking at, should, we, should they have actually some, the kind of agency that we have in the in nuclear industry? Actually, the nuclear industry is looked, at, is looked upon as a role model. It's not perfect. We also have the But it's a role model in terms of, of safety right now. Forgive me. We also have uh, an organization called the Institute yeah. of Nuclear Power Operations. That's great. Uh, uh, INPO, INPO. And there's, an, uh, there's a worldwide equivalent of this, the uh, WANO, World Association of Nuclear, Nuclear Operations. These need to be uh, – uh, these are very strong organizations. They're industry-run. They're self-policing, if you will. I, I have seen some of the confidential uh, uh, edicts that went out from INPO to all the operating reactors in the United States. You will do the following, X, Y, Z. And they are, they are beginning to address these issues now, unbeknownst to the public. I think they should be more transparent about this. This is a good thing, and we need this at the world level. And we need to end this right here. Our thanks to uh, our audience here, Jeff Byron, former commissioner at the California Energy Commission, Jacques Besnanou, CEO of Arriva Inc. in the United States, and Lucas Davis from University of California, Berkeley, Haas School of Business. I'm Greg Dalton. Thank you all for coming to Climate One. Thank you for our attendees here in San Francisco, and thank you for listening on the radio.